good morning once again. That brings us to 9 a.m. on the nose. A very good morning to all of our listeners out there on this Monday, the 22nd of March. And welcome to Community Pulse, your live, locally produced program on the coronavirus pandemic here in mid-Missouri. As a reminder of our production schedule, you can catch Community Pulse live Monday and Wednesdays from 9 a.m. to 9.30 a.m., the backdated episodes are then available immediately on our website, kopn.org, kopn.org, where, as a matter of fact, all of our programs are archived. And you can find them also later in the day on our Facebook feed with germane links to the day's discussion. And you can even check out the entire catalog on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So, some show we have for you today, our host, Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, the local family physician and host of Your Health Matters as well, will be interviewing Representative Martha Stevens, and we'll, of course, be talking about vaccine distribution here in mid-Missouri. So uh, Representative Stevens and Dr. Alleman don't want to take up too much time than I need to. This is quite the discussion. Thank you both so much for joining us this morning. Good morning, Peter, and good morning, Martha. It's good to, it's good to um, have you on the show. Yeah, thank you for reminding me. Nice to talk. So I wanted to start off with some numbers. After watching numbers decline uh, across the country in Missouri and in Boone County, we're now seeing increases in cases uh, plateauing across the country, um, and Missouri and Boone County are both seeing a a slight uptick in cases. The uh, Missouri uh, uh, Sewer Shed Surveillance Project is showing um, Columbia's uh, wastewater facilities are uh, their sampling is showing increased numbers of viral particles, uh, viral RNA in the wastewater, which has been correlated with an increase in cases within the next week or two. So we should. Um, I just. I think that the the primary story in the news seems to have been. Um, and it's so exciting that we've got more vaccines going out. People are getting vaccinated. The um, people are beginning to resume parts of their lives. People are hugging their grandchildren again, <clears throat> and um, that is uh, exciting and lovely. But the thing to remember is that people are still getting infected. People are still getting sick. People are still hospitalized, and um, we are still continuing to lose community members to this uh, viral pandemic. And, um, you know, it's really not over for any of us until it's over for all of us. Uh, That is true for me, you know, sort of energetically and politically, but there's no place where that's really true, uh, more true than in public health. So as long as there's virus uh, spreading through the community, we are all at risk of either getting sick ourselves or of losing someone that we care about. And it's true on a global level as well. So uh, vaccines are continuing to go into uh, people's bodies uh, throughout the state, although the distribution of vaccinations is um, really um, interesting. I, I really expected that once the state got called out on sending vaccines away from the population centers in St. Louis and Kansas City and uh, apparently preferentially to rural areas, especially in the far south of Missouri and a little bit in the far north of Missouri, that that kind of um, uh, injustice would would stop, but apparently um, it has not. So it still is true that many people are traveling outside of St. Louis and Kansas City to get vaccinated in very rural areas. 
Um, and if you are in the current tier, which includes many essential workers, um, you can uh, see if you can make the system work for you. And if you have any difficulty, you can uh, contact Jenny Chadwick or um, contact the, uh, there's a Facebook group, which we can make a link to in the show notes, that is helping uh, people in Missouri find who will qualify for the vaccine, find an appointment, and they call themselves vaccine sharks, but you would find them um, on the Missouri uh, COVID-19 vaccine information on Facebook, and uh, they are committed to helping people get an appointment within 24 hours, and the appointment will be within a week, and they've been very successful so far in helping people in tier get vaccinated. Um, and then Jenny texted me this morning, just as we were getting ready, that Sam Page um, it was uh, calling on family physicians to sign up to get to be vaccinators. Um, and I will say that I don't know the details of that, but we are hoping that um, everybody who is, has the skills would, would participate in this. I will say that I um, began an application process with the MU Health about a month ago to help out with their vaccination center um, here in Missouri, and that process was um, has taken longer than I expected. I'm not trying to be critical. It's just um, that, of course, before they hire, bring on part-time temporary workers, they need that to go through a process. Um, and there have been a few glitches in that process. Some of them are totally mine. Um, last week on the show, I mentioned that we are having difficulty. Testing in, in, in Boone County is shifting and is uh, different than it has been. Uh, both of the drive-through sites at MU Health and at um, Boone Hospital have uh, closed and appear to be closing permanently. Also, the um, drive-through site in Jefferson City is closed. And so now the, there is a method. So if you have a primary care provider, you contact them. If you don't have a primary care provider but you have insurance and can afford it, you go to an urgent care center where you will be assessed, evaluated. Somebody will either order a test or they won't. You don't have a control over that, and you will be charged. Um, and if you don't have a PCP and are uninsured or underinsured, Compass Health or Family Health Center um, does testing, and their number is 214-2314. You can also get uh, free uh, um testing without a doctor's order through Walgreens and Hy-Vee. And um, if you need travel-related testing, Genitrate, the company that's been doing most of our testing locally, is doing direct testing. And uh, they don't require a provider's order, but they do charge, and they charge more if you need results quickly. So um, please, if you still, it's the same rules. If you are uh, close contact of a case, if you um, have symptoms, then we are asking people to continue to get tested. So thank you for sitting through that introduction, Martha Stevens, um, uh, Missouri representative uh, representing the 46th district in, in Missouri. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, like, what it's been like at the Capitol this, during a <laughs> pandemic. Sure. Well, um, thanks for having me on the show. And, um, you know, just to kind of speak to just a couple of things that you said, and I'm happy to talk about uh, life at the Capitol. Um, you know, I think it's, it's really exciting that, um, you know, so many people are getting the vaccine um, and that, you know, but we still, I think what you said is so important. Like we still have a long road ahead of us um, and, uh, you know, people really need to be 
diligent in you know following the CDC guidelines and wearing their masks and just really not letting their guard down um, because you know we are still experiencing um, a global pandemic and um, you know it's been um, frustrating. Um, a lot of my colleagues and myself um, have been frustrated with the um, allocation and the decisions around the mass vaccination events um, because in the beginning they really um, excluded suburban and urban areas um, and you know we've gotten national attention uh, about a week and a half ago there was a Washington Post article about it um, and now we're starting to see um, you know more uh, events in, in um, St. Louis and Kansas City, um, but those should have uh, happened much sooner. And so we will continue to um, be vocal and, um, you know, try to hold them accountable um, to, um, the, you know, the way they are distributing the vaccines uh, in our state. Um, but there are still a lot of vulnerable populations that um, are out there that, um, you know, don't have access and, um, you know, the, the so, so there's just there's there's a lot of work to be done still, even though um, we are moving in, in the right direction. Um, and so we actually have a meeting. Um, we um, I sit on the health and mental health committee, and um, on February 17th, I believe it was, we sent a long letter to um, uh, Dr. Randall Williams um, at the Department of Health and Senior Services with a number of questions about the distribution, um, about you know just a number of questions about their plans for um, equitable distribution, um, you know, what they were doing with leftover vaccines, um, just, just a number of questions. I think we had 10 different questions. And uh, unfortunately, it's been very frustrating because um, we still have not received responses on a number of them, but we are, um, we've been told that we're going to have a meeting on Thursday. So I would say, Dr. Allman, if you have any <laughs> questions about vaccine distributions that you might want to uh, have us ask um, on behalf of healthcare providers, uh, please let me know. Um, I, I will be letting you know, Martha. Thank you. Okay. So yes. Yes. Be a yeah. Good yeah time I'm going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, feel free to email me or we can talk maybe after this or, or on the show, whatever is your preference. Um, so we are going to have that opportunity on Thursday to sit down um, and ask a number of questions. Um, so, yeah, so life at the and, – and also, you know, I think you also mentioned something that's just been um, very frustrating, too, is for people that are on numerous lists and they get notifications that they can go get a vaccine. I've heard, from, I've heard a lot of stories of people that live in St. Louis or the St. Louis area or Kansas City, and they get notifications that they can go get a vaccine a couple hours away. And – Again, you know, for people that have the means and the resources and the privilege to do that, they can. But most folks, you know, you know, that's maybe not an option for people. So um, I think that's you know something to also keep in mind. Um, but yeah, so we went back into session in January, um, and we just uh, actually last week was our spring break, so we're uh, we go back today. So we're a little more than halfway through the legislative session. But um, you know, it's been frustrating because. Uh, many of my colleagues um, do not adhere to CDC guidelines and do not wear masks. Um, masks aren't required in the building, on the House floor. Um, there are a few chair people of committees that require them in committee, but that's, again, at the discretion of the chair. Um, so it's been um, not the safest environment, to say the least. So, and then talk also about, you know, we talked about... Um, well, I've been, I've been thinking about you and 
apologize for not having let you know that I was thinking about you. Oh, no. But wondering what it's been like what you're watching legislatively. So we have mm -hmm. um, legislators who are not following CDC guidelines, and I'm going to guess they are um, – I mean, I don't want to presume what people are thinking, but there are there are certainly many Americans and many Missourians who believe that we're overreacting and that this is overblown and that maybe it's not even happening. And so I'm wondering what kind of responses legislatively we're seeing as far as um, bills introduced and bills that are moving um, uh, with regard to public health. Yeah, well, one of one bill um, that I definitely have my eye on, it has not, uh, it's called Senate Bill 51, so it's a COVID liability bill. Um, it um, really, um, I mean, basically, it, it protects um, bad actors, um, like in nursing homes, uh, long-term care facilities, um, from having any kind of accountability um, for you know, uh, the, you know, uh, negligence basically um, for the patients that they care for, and it's specific to COVID-19. Um, it has not come to the House side yet, so we have not debated debated it on the House floor yet. Um, so, you know, I know there are a lot of groups that um, you know have spoke out, um, different advocates for um, nursing home residents, uh, groups like the AARP, um, and so I mean, I think, you know. If, if, if there are bad actors and, and people are put in very unsafe situations where lives are lost, um, you know, I, I think that families certainly um, deserve um, the right of trial by jury um, and, and, you know, to, to have their day in court to hold wrongdoers accountable. Um, so that's something that I'm watching, um, and I can certainly keep folks updated on that. Like I said, it hasn't come to the, to the House floor yet. Um, and then another issue around um, public health um, is um, Medicaid expansion. So, um, as you know, the voters approved Medicaid expansion uh, in August of 2020. Um, that is something that I've been a longtime advocate for. Um, and uh, thankfully, the voters came together and used the ballot initiative process to get that passed. And um, right now, in the House side, um, yeah, it's been interesting because our uh, budget chair um, has created a whole new budget bill. Uh, typically, um, we because we have to, I guess I should back up a little bit, um, we have to allocate the funds for the 10% of the cost that the state is going to cover. So it's a 90-10 match. So the feds cover 90%. We're going to cover 10. Um, and we usually that, that appropriation uh, typically is in House Bill 11, which uh, funds, it's a budget bill that funds, um, you know, many different programs through the Department of Health and Senior Services. Um, but they have decided to uh, specifically take out Medicaid expansion from House Bill 11 and create a new House Bill, House Bill 20. Um, and so uh, it's, we're going to, we're, we're watching that closely, um, you know, voters, when they pass Medicaid expansion, um, it guarantees that we're going to do this and put it in the state constitution. And so we know that um, even though they're um, whatever maneuvers they're trying to do, um, I, I don't know if it's a last ditch effort for them to say, I voted no on Medicaid expansion and House Bill 20. It, perhaps it's just political theater um, or they're getting ready for their primary races that they're going to have down the line to say, 
I voted, you know, against expanding Medicaid in Missouri. Whatever the reason is, the fact that they're even trying to manipulate this um, and try to cause any kind of hiccup on Medicaid expansion while we are experiencing a global pandemic is just absolutely shameful. Um, we're going to, with Medicaid expansion, we're finally going to be able to cover about 275,000 Missourians so that they have access to health care. Um, of those Missourians, 72,000 are essential workers. They're the people that have been, uh, you know, risking their health and safety and their family's health and safety throughout this pandemic as grocery store workers, uh, child care aides, pharmacy clerks, I mean, caregivers for, you know, people living in their homes. And, and so it's just, um, it is so important for so many reasons that we make sure that Medicaid expansion is implemented, uh, this legislative session, so that on July 1st, people can begin to sign up for access to health care. Um, and it's not only just good for public health and for, you know, people who have the dignity and, and to be able to go see um, and get preventative health care and go see a doctor, um, but we know it's a job creator and it's, um, you know, economically, it's a win for our state. Um, even Governor Parson and his budget proposal at the beginning of session, you know, conceded to the fact that um, we're not going to have to cut different programs to fund Medicaid, which is the rhetoric and the false talking point that I have heard for the past 10 years. Um, so um, it just, it's just really important. So even if, um, you know, they... they um, I'm messing with it. Um, you know, the budget process also, you know, will take place on the Senate side too. So perhaps if they mess with it on the House side, we can get it restored on the Senate side. Um, again, this might just be political theater, so they can say that they voted against it one last time. Um, I guess that's uh, yet to be seen. But um, I know that advocates and uh, our Democratic caucus is, of course, watching it very closely. Yeah, and I just also want to make a plug that one of the things that um, med the failure of Missouri to expand Medicaid has impacted is rural hospitals. So yeah. across the state, during my entire career, we have seen rural hospitals sort of teeter and crumble. And um, in central Missouri, um, we recently had the Boonville Hospital close. And I think that... <clears throat> Uh, they, I don't think that they are recognized as widely as they could be as um, essential public service organizations, but also uh, really um, important employers. I can't tell you how many nurses and pharmacy techs and uh, physical therapists, et cetera, who worked at the rural hospital I worked at in Fayette for years were the um, primary source of of um, we want to say reliable month-to-month -month income and benefits for um, their farmer partners. So it was a you know when the, that hospital closed, it really did send a shockwave through the entire community. Um, and I I I just like every day I'm thinking, oh can this and uh, we do really do need our rural hospitals to survive. And during a global pandemic, we can really see how important that um, access to not just hospitalized care, but emergency room assessment and um, a laboratory is important. So mm -hmm. thanks for yeah. getting us updated no. on that one. No, absolutely. And I would also say, um, yeah, I mean, for those rural areas, when a rural hospital closes, I mean, it's devastating on so many fronts. 
Um, but typically, those hospitals are the number one employer for those communities and um, mm -hmm. people having to travel further. And then another population, because I've, I've worked on a lot of leg legislation around supporting um, low-income families and, and um, pregnant women, is that you know people don't realize that here in Missouri, um, you know, we do cover pregnant women up to 185% of the federal poverty level. Um, but because we haven't expanded Medicaid, um, those new moms lose coverage just 60 days postpartum, which is just awful. Right. <laughs> so, it is. Um, and can I just say, being somebody who's tried to provide um, postpartum and newborn care during that, uh, that time, that is a real crutch. So often <clears throat> what we're doing is women who want, say, a tubal ligation after their baby's born, that has to get done within those 60 days. And we are often, um, like there's often a push when we might have said, you know what, really, let's delay this surgery 30 days and let this other problem resolve. It's like, no, that just has to be done. So, um, yeah, many things. Um, Medicaid expansion is going to help, and I, um, I'm so excited that we, it looks like we might actually get it. Um, I know, yeah. <laughs> can you talk about um, impact on the, some bills that are addressing public health and trying to limit the ability of public health departments to uh, make emergency orders in times of a public health crisis? Sure. Um, so I know there's a Senate bill I'm not as familiar with because I don't think it's come to the House floor yet, but um, there's House Bill 75 by Representative Murphy, um, and that did pass the House and was headed over to the Senate. Um, and yeah, so it, it modifies provisions um, around related to health orders to make it more difficult for local entities um, to issue those. And, and you know, we have been so lucky here in Boone County to have the leadership um, of that department to you know, issue um, different things around capacity for restaurants and for, you know, the mask mandate. I can't, I mean, I just remember being so relieved um, when that came out. And so I think the main thing that I really want to emphasize around these, what, these bills and these proposals is that Governor Parson did not take any real leadership and ownership at the state level to issue any real guidance and, and different provisions for public safety during this pandemic. He very clearly pivoted and gave that responsibility to our local entities. Um, and so right. for, right, so that's why it's so frustrating to have members of his party file these bills to limit the control, the local control um, around these, um, this, you know, the for safety, for public safety and public health. Um, and so that's the thing that I'm most frustrated with is that, you know, he he was so hands-off and just kept saying, you know, let the, what, I trust what the local, um, you know, municipalities and health departments are going to do. Like, whatever they want to do, what's best for their community. And then to have members of his party, you know, push this legislation um, to take away that local control is very, very frustrating. Right, and I think that sometimes the, the debate gets phrased in it's about economic success versus uh, keeping people safe, and it's really not that. We had um, the manager of the uh, Columbia Farmers Market on um, months ago who pointed mm -hmm. out that the Saturday right after the mask mandate was issued in Boone County, they saw a marked increase in traffic. People mm -hmm. felt 
more capable of being able to safely support local businesses when there was a mask mandate and they believed that most people would be wearing masks. So it was increased by, I don't know, like 60% increase. It was a significant increase right away. And I know that that was true for many of my patients and friends and listeners that once, when there is this sense that, yeah, if I go out in public and I go to my favorite business, I am unlikely to be um, exposed to people who are um, not wearing masks and not taking precautions, then that means that, okay, now I am willing to um, spend more money in my local community and move about more. Yeah, no, I think that that's, I mean, I, and this is, I mean, it's just anecdotal, but I know it was true for myself and my family and friends. I, I remember just, I felt so much better, I mean, going into a grocery store. Um, it makes a significant difference. Um, for sure. And, and also, you know, these bills that, you know, take away the local control. And I just feel like it also feeds into this rhetoric. I mean, public health departments and people, I know that there have been stories of, you know, just all the threats and um, the intimidation and people leaving their jobs in some of these rural health departments um, for, for taking a stand for public health. And um, I just, I'm just so thankful right, which is, for <laughs> the work that yeah, they have done. Yeah, it's a big one to hit if you have lost your local hospital. So that means you have probably fewer nurses and physicians and other health professionals living in your community because many of them are going to move and be closer to their workplace. And so you have fewer of those voices. And now your public health department is underfunded, overworked, and um, the leadership is harassed to the point that now those positions can't be filled. It really does leave this big vacuum of um, not just guidance and orders, but also support and um, <clears throat> well, support and facilities. Mm -hmm. And so it's like one thing to say, oh well, I I think I you know I'm all for freedom, and so the plan I think I want to make based on my reading of the data is I want to you know get tested every two weeks and. I don't know what else. Well, the thing is, good luck to you because then those resources are not available. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know we're we are unfortunately Missouri. Um, we really underfund our public health. I think I think we rank like 49th or 50th in the country when it comes to funding yep. public health, and have for decades. So we, you know, we've always had an underfunded public health department, and the public health department is doing things day in and day out, but I think some people forget, like they are watching, they're taking care of people who've tested positive for tuberculosis in your community and helping them have guidance about how to keep themselves and their family safe and getting them treatment so that their infection does not spread and also looking at sexually transmissible infections and making sure that children get vaccines before they go to school. All these various things get done in our public health department. And and when they do it right, we're unaware that they're even doing it. So do you think, so Martha, that, that bill passed the House, do you, does it, is it moving through the Senate as well? Do you feel like that's going to impact um, our public health? Yeah, I mean, I would, so I, I, I can't remember exactly what, like I said, we just got a spring break. I, it was, I think, the week before last week that we passed it. So, you know, I would um, encourage people and, and your listeners um, to reach out to Senator Rowden. Um, and asking mm -hmm. to oppose these measures. So it's House Bill 75, and I apologize, I'm not sure what the Senate bill number is. 
Um, but I think that those are, you know, a course of um, action uh, would be for people to reach out to our senator and let them know about their concerns. Can you speak briefly about the um, effectiveness of reaching out to your legislators? Because I sure. think some I mean, people are feeling a little hopeless about it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it is really important for people to um, reach out to their state reps with phone calls, emails, um, because, you know, for some people that, um, I mean, I, I'm going to say I appreciate that. I, I, I can't speak for everyone. Um, but in a sense, you know, sometimes it gives cover to perhaps a Republican who, instead of voting down party line, they can say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to vote with my caucus on this because I've heard from a number of people that really care about this issue, like, and this is right for my community. Um, I think it can make a difference. I think personal stories are very, very important. Um, and, you know, it's been really unfortunate that um, our, the Republicans have not made it um, accessible for um, virtual testimony. Uh, we've had a handful, maybe a hearings, maybe a few, I can think of like three that I'm aware of, where people, they have set it up for virtual testimony. And so that's another thing that has been very frustrating during the pandemic is um, it's not safe for people to come into the building. And um, so many voices are not being heard throughout the public policy process, um, which is so important to the democratic process. And so um, that's another thing um, that, you know, COVID has definitely impacted this year um, because I, I do think that public testimony um, being there, looking at a committee and sharing your story, um, I know it can make a difference. Well, Martha Stevens, um, House Representative, Missouri House Representative from District 46, I so appreciate you taking your time uh, today to talk to us about these important bills, Senate Bill 51, which prevents uh, people, it, it shields people from liability for bad acting in the pandemic. Uh, House Bill 51, uh, House Bill uh, House Bill 20 is Medicaid expansion, and House Bill 75 has already passed the House and has moved to the Senate, and it is it limits the ability of um, public health officials to respond to emergencies. And if you were people wanted to be um, proactive and have their voice heard, this would be a great time to do that. So um, thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in. Please wear your mask, wash your hands. Get the first vaccine that's available to you. Um, keep your distance as long as uh, the CDC guidelines recommend. And co continue to cultivate a um, cheerful confidence that you um, can handle a viral infection. And thank you, Peter, so much for engineering today. And Dr. Allman, I just wanted to say I've been following all of your outreach and your work around this, and I'm so thankful for everything you're doing in our community. Thank you. That touches my heart, Martha. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you very much, uh, Representative Stevens, and, and thank you also, uh, Dr. Alleman. That was an excellent show, and if you happen to miss any part of it, no worries. You can find it on our website immediately, kopn.org. All of our programs are archived immediately there. We will also be posting the show to our Facebook group. Uh, you heard Dr. Alleman uh, reference that. Our Facebook group has been utilizing the services of our other Community Pulse uh, host, Ginny Chadwick, to help people get vaccines. 
And speaking of help getting vaccines, a uh, website that many of us here at the station have been using and have found most useful is vaccinespotter.org. You can get appointments where there are surplus vaccines across the state. So thank you all, dear listeners, for joining us for another edition of Community Pulse. We'll be back in your ears live on Wednesday at 9 a.m. with Ginny Chadwick and Mallory Daly. Until then, the message from your friends and your neighbors over here at your local community radio station remains stay safe and please stay informed, Columbia. Thank you.